0: Want to welcome you again to City Light Church. Before I begin, I actually want to uh, make one final announcement that is late breaking. As you know, the you might might know, might not know, the city and the state has started to allow churches to gather again as long as they're following certain protocols like social distancing. And right now, our church is not in any rush to meet back together again. We think the streaming has gone really well. And we still feel like God is connecting us even through the stream and through our Zoom meetings. So we feel like that's going well. Uh, we do, however, want to prepare to meet again. Um, and so what we're doing is we're, we wait for the green light for our city and our, for our county uh, to allow us to meet. But secondly, we are in touch with our venues and talking to them about meeting again. Finally, our congregation. We want to See how our congregation is doing. Are you ready to come back? If not, when do you feel like would be a good time for you to come back? And so we're taking all those things into account. And please pray for our leadership, our elders, as we meet together, as we try to create a service that is healthy, that is, we can still be, um, obeying all of the protocols that will keep keep everyone healthy, but we want to do so in a time that is appropriate and right for our church. So please pray for us. Filling out the congregational survey will really help us to get started, so please do that. Uh, we There's a link that should be, um, be right there for you to fill out. Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 5. We're reading verses 1 to 9. We're also reading verses 13 to 31. Would you follow along as I read this word of God? King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, who, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them, Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing, shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Uh, now, reading from verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered, and said to Daniel, You are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the chanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing. To make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations, solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing, make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship, and greatness, and glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages, he was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until that the most high god rules the kingdom of mankind sets over whom he wills and you his son belshazzar has not have not humbled your heart though you knew all this but you have given you have lifted up yourself against the lord of heaven the vessels of this house have been brought in before you and you and your lords your wives your concubines have drunk wine from them and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is an interpretation of that manner, Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Amen. This is a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning for your word. Pray now as we hear your words explained that God, you would reveal yourself. Show us your glory, your beauty, your power. Speak to our hearts. Warn us about the difficult things that might be harming us and lead us into your way of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to learn about a king who's a young man ex- experiencing all kinds of pressure. There's a growing uh, war about to break out in his kingdom. He could lose it all. And we're going to look at his response. And throughout this whole series, we've been looking at the responses of people under pressure, in crisis, facing difficult things. We learned about people like Daniel and his friends, how in the face of pressure, they responded with faith. They believe confidently in the power of God. But we learned that there are other responses in times of crisis. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar, how when he felt pressure, he was anxious. He had nightmares that he could not shake. Today we're learning about Belshazzar, who was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, who lived in denial. Uh, Who in the face of great pressure Retreated Pretended like everything was fine Who was not facing his fears He was partying As the world was ending He was living in denial What do you do when Your life seems unpredictable When there's so much So many things right now In our society That are falling apart That are broken That are burning So many uncertainties For all of us, how do you respond in times of uncertainty and crisis? Today we're going to look at two ways to live in crisis, in uncertainty. One is to live in denial. We're going to look at Belshazzar and how he, how he lived that way. And the other is a life of faith. We're going to see that with Daniel. And we're going to look at this final idea of how we can be so confident in midst of difficult times so today we're going to look at three things living in denial secondly living in faith and finally the assurance of faith we've been been tracking with us we've been looking at the book of daniel and each chapter of daniel is a specific time period between chapter four and chapter five there's probably a lot of time that has elapsed between those two periods and daniel chapter Four, we learned about the ending of King Nebuchadnezzar's story. His story was a story of long redemption. How God, through a series of encounters, finally brought Nebuchadnezzar home. Brought him to understanding his power and his grace. Probably as uh, uh, chapter 4 ends and chapter 5 begins, there's a long time gap. There's actually different rulers that come and go. They are in that capacity for short periods of time. By the time Daniel 5 rolls around, we meet the final, we look at the final stages of the Babylonian Empire. There is a final ruler who's probably the son of King Nabonidus. He's one of the final kings in the Babylonian Empire who has a son who he leaves in charge for a certain period of time. Uh, he, He is Belshazzar. He's a young, arrogant king. He's probably in place temporarily and he's facing a massive threat. There is a massive empire growing to the east of them, the Persian Empire. They've had uh, skirmishes here and there, but a war is about to break out and this massive Persian Empire is knocking on the door. They are are about to invade. So what would this young king, what's he going to do? Growing crisis Threat The Persians are knocking on his door What's he going to do Is he going to assemble all of his kings Or all of his governors All of his leaders His cabinet They're going to huddle together They're going to make plans He might have been like his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar He might have been anxious Stayed up all night Thought about what to do But in contrast uh, Belshazzar does none of that instead he throws a massive party chapter 5 this young man he throws a wild party he gets a thousand of his men and not just his men but the, his his their wives and concubines in ancient times it was said that there was a big separation between men and women especially during banquets and so the fact that these these people are coming together suggests this is a a really a wild gathering. Some scholars suggest this is an orgy. There's all kinds of alcohol and women. Uh, this is a massive banquet. Why is he doing this? He's facing all kinds of threats around him. Belshazzar decides he's gonna have a party, a massive party. Why is he responding this way? Well, one, it could be bravado. He could be trying to tell his men He's not worried He's not panicked about any of this But second, probably more likely Is that he's escaping Belshazzar knows that this might be it His time might be up His empire might be crumbling So instead of of really trying to wrestle with the reality of that He wants to escape it He wants to run from it He wants to have this lavish sex party Blaise Pascal, he's one of the most prominent, famous French philosophers and scientists. He wrote a book called The Penses*, And in it, Pascal says that this is all of us, from great rulers and kings uh, to ordinary people. We love to escape. He calls them diversions. He says kings, they hunt. Uh, we play games. We gamble. And he says we're always trying to escape reality. All of us. He says that If you take away all the noise and distractions in our life, he says we would be bored to extinction. He says this is a game we all play, that all of us are trying to escape reality. We're trying to escape the darkness. You know, there's so much uh, depressing things. There's so many broken things in our society. This week we saw a city burning. We saw massive injustice. We saw, we see racism, systemic. We see all of these negative things. We're in the midst of a pandemic, people losing their jobs. In our city, there's massive amounts of homelessness. And instead of engaging all of those things and wrestling and mourning and seeking peace, it's easy just to escape into our phones. It's easy to just say, hey, well, I don't want to think about those things. It's easy, simply to binge watch a series on Netflix, and we do a lot of what Belshazzar is doing. I was uh watching an interview of people who were at a beach Memorial Day, and this beach was crowded, littered with people. There nobody was wearing face masks. People were very close to each other. It was crowded, and a reporter interviewed someone, a young man, and he asked, you know. Aren't you worried? Aren't you worried about catching this virus, not taking any precautions? And this young man said, well, I just don't want to think about it. I try not to think about it. And that's many of us. We, instead of engaging, wrestling with these difficult issues, it's easy just to say, I don't want to think about it. It's easy to lose ourselves in diversion. I've been mentioning a book by James Justin Early called The Common Rule. And I've mentioned it in a few sermons, and one of the reasons for that is that we're doing a study on the book. We're gonna try to practice the idea of having a common rule in smaller communities. And one of the things that he suggests as a rule of life is curating media to four hours curating media to four hours media you know movies and stories they're good things you know there are beautiful stories that we can learn so much from but there's a lot of junk out there there's a lot of empty calories there's a lot of mindlessly watching television that we often do simply to escape but what if you curated your media to four hours what if you chose the best stories to watch And what if you use the rest of your time to redeem it? Study things like social injustice. Talk to people. Love your neighbors. What if you use that time to connect with God? What a difference that would make. So I really challenge you this week. I challenge you City Light Church. Curate your media for four hours. Just this week. Try it out. Ask to redeem that time. So if you're down with that. If you're down with that challenge. Uh, if you can write in the chat box I accept this challenge Please hold me accountable Uh I want to Even if I fail uh, Seek not to escape Not to escape One of the things that Belshazzar d- is doing Is he's not just escaping But he's also openly being defiant Against God And that's one of the things that he does Is he takes In this frenetic party He takes chalices in things that were sacred in the temple of God, and he uses it to drink wine from. And this was like a middle finger to God. This is open defiance to God, that he's not taking God seriously. Um, And God intervenes. God crashes that party. It says in verse 5, Immediately the fingers of a hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. This scene is where we get the term, the writing is on the wall. And we get from this this idea that the end is here. That judgment is coming. But the thing about Belshazzar is that he knows that this is a writing of judgment But he's, he's not sure exactly what it means He knows it's bad But he doesn't know where it comes from Or what the judgment exactly spells out So he calls all of his advisors together He wants an explanation You know, many of us are in the same place We know that something is wrong in our life But we don't know exactly what it is Carl Menninger, he was a, a famous... A renowned psychiatrist and he wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Sin and his thesis was that in our society we've gotten rid of this idea of sin it's like bad it's judgment it feels makes people feel bad and so we've just gotten rid of this idea of sin you don't hear it just that word in often in churches definitely not outside of churches and the idea is we said well let people just do Whatever they want, live their best life. As long as you're not harming anyone, go out and live your best life. We don't need these rules that are puritanical to moderate how we live our life. And manager said we dispense with all that, but instead of people feeling relief and at peace, he says that he's, he's gotten an influx of patients who are depressed, who are... Um, isolated who have all kinds of issues going on and he says the problem with them is that because we've gotten rid of this idea of sin is that we have all kinds of problems but we have no way of understanding it because we don't know we can't name it also there's no solution to it we live in a society that they're skyrocketing people who are depressed, who are addicted, who are isolated, who are fearful, who are anxious. We have this sense that something is wrong, but we don't know what it is. We know the writing is on the wall, but we can't understand what it means. And that's where this idea of sin comes into place, is that the writing on the wall is telling us ultimately that all of the brokenness All of even the injustice is rooted in this idea of sin And only when we understand that Do we understand, hey there's a solution To all of this All of those things that are wrong And this is the second point Belshazzar was living in defiance and denial He knew it was a problem He didn't know really what the solution was and what it was all about. And that's why there's a second way to live. And it's a way of living by faith that Daniel represents. Belshazzar, when he sees the writing on the wall, he shook. He is desperately looking for a solution. He calls all of his men, his enchanters, his magicians. asks them all. And we've seen this story before with Nebuchadnezzar. None of them know the answer. But in verse 10... A woman appears on the scene We didn't read this part of the passage A queen Some people believe This is actually Nebuchadnezzar's wife And she is still around And she remembers Daniel She remembers everything that happened And how Daniel Interpreted her husband's dreams And he gave God's wisdom She recommends Daniel Belshazzar in his desperation Brings Daniel in and he offers Daniel all kinds of rewards. It's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar, the way he operated is by threats of death. The way Belshazzar it operates is by bribes. And he says, Belshazzar, if you, Belshazzar says to Daniel, if you are able to interpret the writing and what it means, I'm going to offer you the kingdom, a gold chain, everything. And Daniel refuses and he says that, hey, you know, I am not, I cannot be bought. Basically, that's what Daniel was saying. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. But Daniel says, I am going to tell you what the story is about. He's going to tell him what all of those uh, those words on the wall mean. Daniel says in verse, uh, Daniel points out first the history. He talks about Nebuchadnezzar whom he had a close relationship with, how God worked in his life, woke him up, humbled him, turned him around. And what he first says to Daniel is this in verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. The problem of Belshazzar is that he should have known better. He had the whole testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. He, He knew all the history. He must have been told it his whole life. Of how God was at work God woke Nebuchadnezzar up Now Daniel spoke to him the words of God And Nebuchadnezzar responded And believed And turned to God And God says, uh, Daniel says to, to Belshazzar You should have known that You should have known better You know the more you know The more accountable you are If you grew up in a home where your parents were Christian, raised you, taught you the Bible, if you grew up in the church, had faithful pastors teach you, if you were surrounded by the Bible, you're more accountable than anybody else, than someone who's had very little limited knowledge, did not grow up in a Christian home, did not go to church. You're more accountable because you've had all of the testimony. You have no excuse. That's what Daniel is telling Belshazzar. You should have known. You had this whole testimony. That's why the judgment was so severe. Because of all that he had in front of him. So Daniel reads the writing on the wall. He says the mene means God numbered your days. The tekel, God is, he has been weighed. You've been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom will be broken apart. Daniel reads, chirpets the writing on the wall. That very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, he is struck dead. He's killed. The Persians enter into the empire and the end is near. Belshazzar's story is so different from Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar repents, turns to God. Belshazzar does not repent and is judged but the real contrast I want to show you is the contrast between Belshazzar and Daniel. You know, Belshazzar was this young, arrogant king who was all about the now. That's why he's throwing the party. He's all about living for the present. My, my flesh, my, this moment right now, indulging my senses now. Who cares about tomorrow? Who cares about my problems? Daniel was the opposite. Daniel was once a young man as well. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was a young man who was given a lot of the lavish benefits of the kingdom. He was given a edu- Babylonian education. He was given all of the, the lavish food from the king's table. But what does young Daniel do in chapter 1? He refuses the food, the lavish wine and food, all these luxuries. Why? He didn't have to, even according to Hebrew law. But Daniel wanted to remind himself of who he was. He wanted to remind himself it's not about now. He wanted to remember his past, who he, where he came from, but he also wanted to remember his future, who he really served, and where he was going. Belshazzar was all about now. Daniel was all about forever. He was all about the eternal things. Daniel was willing to fast because he knew one day he was going to feast. He was willing to forsake the temporary for the eternal. And we learn that the role of Belshazzar and Daniel flip. Dan, Belshazzar who's living in uh, indulgent luxury his life flips and he's, he's, he dies. Everything is taken from him. Daniel who starts out as an exile, far from home, is promoted. Right at the end of this passage, in verse 20, 29, Daniel is given. Uh, he is given all of this power. He is promoted. It says Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel goes from. This place of exile To being promoted To being exalted Belshazzar himself puts this gold chain Around Daniel's neck I like to think of it like uh, Daniel has this massive gold. He's like two chains He has this large gold chain Around his neck He's given this robe He is given a promotion Daniel is Exalted To this high place it's a picture of the Christian life. And the picture of the Christian life is this, that we're called to suffer now, but if we suffer now, all of the suffering will give way to glory. That we are called to follow God now. We're called to fast. We're called to live countercultural. It's not, not for now. I am going to live. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to deny myself. Uh, but I know that glory is to come. Daniel lived by faith. He lived by faith. Uh, We live in a world where everyone is trying to seek the maximum amount of pleasure now. We're called to suffer, to fast. In a world where people are trying to escape and forget, we're called to remember who who we are. And we are to remember where we are going. One of the things I love about Daniel is that he loved speaking truth to power. He lived by faith with king Nebuchadnezzar he called Nebuchadnezzar out even though he he was threatened with death he told Nebuchadnezzar about his injustice and he called him out on that Daniel he lived by he he was unafraid to speak truth and i think that's a great application for christian people today we too have to be like daniel and speak truth to power you know we're living in a time now where there's so much injustice as i said before and it's easy just to be silent to say nothing what does it mean to live by faith today it means that we're willing to speak up we're willing to speak truth to power not just in areas of injustice but also in talking about Jesus you know some people some Christians we can speak up against injustice societal injustice but we're very silent when it comes to telling people about Jesus we don't want to talk about that Some Christians, we we can tell people about Jesus. We can talk about God. But we're very silent when it comes to things of injustice in our society. Racism, which is often systemic. Other Christians, we don't talk about anything. Uh, We don't speak up about anything, whether it's our faith or whether it's about injustice. Because it's uncomfortable. I really want to encourage you to... Understand that living by faith means living a life that is uncomfortable. We are called, uh, we are called to speak truth. We are called to deny ourselves. We are called to suffer. We are called to take unpopular positions. We are called to forsake the now and the temporary pleasures of now for those eternal things. We're called to live like Daniel lived. And what gives us hope, like Daniel, is that when we suffer now, when we suffer now, we know that glory is to come. You know, Second Timothy 4, Paul talks about that idea. That, that guided his life as well. This is what he says. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. says well there's a crown that awaits you we suffer now we're like athletes in training we suffer, we train but we know there's a crown coming we know there's a gold chain that is coming that awaits us and that gives us hope Christian life isn't about not having joy, we are to have joy but it's about forsaking the temporary pleasures of the moment and it's about looking forward To that glory that awaits us. As we get to our last point, you might say, Well, how do I know that's true? It's so hard, so hard to live like that. It's so hard to be people like Daniel in a society like that. So here's the final point: the assurance of faith. You know, throughout this series, Daniel's role is to take all of these things that are mysterious. The dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, the writing on the wall. They know vaguely what it's about. But Daniel's role is to make it known, to make it clear, so that anybody could understand. Here, in this writing on the wall, there is just a hand of God that appears. Uh, Theologians call this a theophany. God appearing in person. It's just a hand. And this word, uh, the writing on the wall is about judgment. The time is up. And all of what Daniel is about, it gives way to Jesus. Daniel is all about making God known. The things of God known. And ultimately, Jesus makes all of God known. The mysterious, God is seemingly so mysterious, he is hard to understand, but in Jesus, we know God. God is made clear to us in Jesus. Here in Daniel 5, we just see a hand writing on the wall in Jesus. We see his whole humanity. God takes on a total human flesh to tell us who he is. Daniel gives us a message of God's judgment, but Jesus speaks to us about his grace and his love. You know, uh, one of the m- m- my favorite a uh, little passages about Jesus is John chapter 8. John chapter 8 uh, these religious leaders uh, Trap Jesus They're trying to trap Jesus So these men They bring a woman who has been caught In adultery It's interesting that they only bring the woman Because last time I checked Adultery takes two people But they only bring the woman Conveniently just the woman These men, just men Bringing a woman They ask Jesus Jesus, here's the trap The law says a A woman caught in adultery has to be stoned. So what do you say? What should we do? It's a dilemma because if he lets her off, he is not following the letter of the law. But if he stones her, if he has her stoned, he seems like he's cruel. It's barbaric. How can he allow that to happen? Jesus is caught. So what does Jesus do? It says Jesus and only only way Jesus can do, facing all kinds of pressure, decides he's going to go down on the floor and write in the sand. Write in the dirt. What's he writing? We're, we're not told. Some scholars suggest that Jesus is writing all of those men's sins on the ground. Something like that. We're not told what Jesus writes on the ground, but when he gets up, he tells all those men, he who is without sin you cast that first stone. If you're without sin, you throw that first stone. Go ahead. He reveals their hypocrisy. All of them leave that woman. They drop their stones. Jesus embraces the woman, forgives her, tells her to sin no more. You know, the the, the heart of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, uh, the writing on wall was about judgment. The writing of Jesus is a word of grace. Jesus is all about grace and judgment combined. And that's what the cross is about. It's the judgment and the love of God together. Because at the cross, Jesus takes the the sin, the, the condemnation of sin that we deserve for us in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed, that is God's grace. That's God's invitation to all of us. How can we trust that our suffering will look, will end up in glory? We'll look to Jesus. He took all of our suffering, and after he suffered, he was raised again in glory. If God gave up Jesus for you, what won't he do for you? If God the Father gave up his only son for you, what won't God do for you? There's nothing he won't do for you. You're loved in a radical, radical way in Jesus. That's the proof of God's love. That's the proof that there is a hope for you. That there's glory that follows. Would you hear the good news this morning? Jesus is writing, he's writing a new message on your wall. It's a message of his grace. It's a message of his love. And Jesus comes to you inviting you to receive that. Humble yourself. Receive this good news. And if you've received it now, live like Daniel did. Full of faith. Live like Daniel did. Not for now, but for eternal things. Live like Daniel did and live by speaking truth. By being unafraid to stand up. Be unafraid to share the good news Be unafraid to speak truth to power Live faithfully time like now The church This is a time for the church Church would be a church that In times in which people Are panicking Would you be a person of peace At a time when people are so divided Would you be a peacemaker At a time when people are Trying to forget Trying to escape. Would you remember who you are? Would you remember where you are going? Would you remember that the kingdom comes? And would you fast now because you know you will one day feast? Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this time and pray in midst of a lot of division and uncertainty. And Lord, we need you to come down. And we need you to be our peace. Pray that in midst of so many things that you would call your people to live so differently that we would live, God, not for the temporary things but eternal things. That you would help us to speak peace, to be people of justice and be people of hope. Call us, Lord, to live distinctly. Call us to live a life of love, Call us to be your people uh, who would show this broken, fractured world the beautiful, diverse kingdom of heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.